Walt Disney. Yes. Beloved, beloved figure of our of our pop culture. That's how they get you. Yada yada yada. She eventually causes her own husband to be burned to death. And that makes me so happy on cold nights. It especially ended badly for the idiot Peckerwoods. Have a bottle oh, of wow. scotch. Okay, that's twice that he's mentioned redheads. <laughs> it is un-American to get in the way of our freedom to restrict people's freedoms. That was the point. Okay. Title. Yeah. Okay. But, I know plenty about but, these things. But, I love me some Bobby Drake. Yeah, well, yeah, if that's flame, all we've got, then we're darts. being really lazy. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all bone. You can literally poke a hole in it as soon as someone gets pneumonia. Well, I'm yeah, not as old as you. Well, haha, motherfucker, I got a wizard. history of time where we connect nerdery to the real world my name is ed blaylock i'm a world history and english teacher here in northern california and um my my son recently had a birthday he's four now and uh my my brother from another mother and friend of the show uh bishop o'connell uh has taken it upon himself to spoil my son um, I don't know whether like on my behalf or just because, well, you know, he's my nephew. I'm going to do that. Um, but over the course of a couple of weeks, both before and after my son's birthday, uh, we received three sweatshirts. Uh, one of them was, uh, designed to look like, uh, the, the armor of Din Djarin from the Ooh. Mandalorian. Yeah. One of them is a Spider-Man hoodie. Mm-hmm. The third one is a Captain America hoodie, which came with a set of blue sweatpants. Hmm. And earlier, he had sent a Captain America shield in my son's size. Now, the the only downside to this is I am now envious of my four-year-old because he has some better toys than I have. <laughs> um. So Uncle Bishop also sent him a, a set of three uh, laser swords hmm. uh, from a from a Chinese manufacturer working to try to avoid getting sued by Lucasfilm <laughs> um, that that light up and and make clashing noises, but are you know sized for a smaller kid. Sure. And so yeah, he's he's getting spoiled in a truly geeky way. And um, since I know uh, Bishop is a friend of the show and, and an actual listener, thank you for the moments you are giving me with my son hmm. uh, with all of this stuff. It's, it's absolutely amazing. And uh, by the way, uh, my wife says you can stop now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that's what I've got going on. How about you? Well, I'm Damien Harmony. I'm a Latin and drama teacher up here in Northern California. Uh, and I had something uh, cool to share, but like your story was just so goddamn cute that it chased <laughs> any and all stories out of my head. Okay, um, well, my son does that. Yeah, uh, I don't yeah. know if it was I was going to share um, something along the lines of what my kids are cooking or 
Well, I'll I, tell you what, whether yeah. you were going to bring that one up or not, I kind of want to know what, what is your son or your daughter? What are your kids going to be cooking this weekend? Because I know uh, I'm going to see it on Facebook. But yeah, like, that's probably true. Uh, <laughs> so my my son is uh, having friends over um, and, mm-hmm. and, and we're totally Very masked. Cool. Everybody's quadruple vaccinated and whatnot. Um, and so I, I think he's going to be making, um, Bosque brownies, uh, and he's also going to be making, uh, I think it's like Greedo's taters or something like that. Okay. Uh, So that's, that's what he's making. I'm not sure what my daughter's making. Uh, she didn't leave me a recipe. Um, so they always have to give me a requisition list uh, before they go back to their moms, uh, or they go to their moms. Um, and so she did not give me such, uh, but last week she made the best buttermilk biscuits. Oh my God. Like I've been dipping them in my soup. They're so good. Oh, wow. Um, oh yeah, it's fantastic, but very cool. I will tell you this. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but, uh, it is now, uh, as, as of this recording, it's the end of January. By the time y'all are listening to it, the season will almost be over, but yes, the first harvest of the year of donuts Oh, it's coming. Do probably, I think we'll I'll start hearing the pop, pop, pop sounds around two o'clock tomorrow. Nice. Uh-huh. And so Very we'll see cool. how many. They planted 12. We always plant 12 because we don't want to overtax the soil. Okay. Um, Good and thinking. We used, uh, we used Honey Nut Cheerios because they're hoping that there's a correlation between the sugariness of that and the glazing that happens later on. I so, like their logic. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, it has not been a particularly wet couple weeks, so we'll see if any of them end up jelly-filled because we found the wetter the year, the more often there's fillings. Um, the amount of the amount of effort you've put into the amount of thought and and yeah. uh, effort you've put into this over the course of the last several years is yes. really yes. That's a one parenting right there, sir. Thank you. Thank you. So cool. uh, we might actually pick a few extras for our guests to be able to enjoy the next day as well. So nice. we shall see. Yeah. All right. So that's that was the thing I had in mind. But oh, uh, very cool. The cooking no, that's, brought me around to it. That's, yeah. that's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, that's that's so, that's very cute. So cool. Yeah. So uh, when last we left ourselves, uh, yes, we were hip deep in Spartan Cape. <laughs> that sounds like a euphemism um <laughs> right. and and there are so many things in spartan culture it could be a euphemism for oh my god it, i have a quick question about spartan okay. culture i yeah. remember a friend of mine took an ancient greek history class so yeah. i assume that this is correct okay spartan women would have to shave their heads so that their men would actually want to fuck them i don't know about it uh just just the way that you phrase that is <laughs> is funny to me very here's, laconic here's and the spartan. thing yeah <laughs> just blunt um very laconic the, and spartan here's well here's the thing yeah there it's 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 based on something we know to be true mm-hmm. like the the underlying uh uh I, I i'm trying to think of the word to use to describe it the the, the underlying concept is mm-hmm. is basically correct but the thing is, um, Spartan men didn't actually shave their heads or cut their hair short. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, one of the things that we know, as a matter of fact, it's it's part of the legend of of uh, uh, the hot gates of, of Thermopylae, mm-hmm. is that before the battle, 
um, and I'm, I was going to bring this up anyway, before the battle, uh, the Spartan warriors uh, bathed, um, cleaned themselves up. Mm-hmm. And it specifically mentioned that they oiled their hair and combed it and braided it uh, to make themselves beautiful before going off to their certain death. Because, okay. because, because to them, and this, this was a point about Spartan culture I was going to get to later, but we'll bring it up here. Sure. To the Spartans, again, because they, they had gone through this incredibly brutal training uh, from, from the age of seven. Mm-hmm. And um, for them, death did not hold any fear. They, they were not afraid of death. To them, <laughs> a death in battle was the culmination of the most actualized their life could get. You have essentially a purposeful emotional crippling of an entire an entire generation repeated over oh, and yeah, over. over and over like and it's over purposeful and over again. though. It's not like American yeah. where it's just we don't deal with our traumas and we drink and beat each other yeah. um, generation to generation. Uh, it's, it's purposeful. It's no, 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 this is, this is how we're going to make sure that we harness your emotional crippling so that we can scare other people. Yeah. And, and I mean, they, they literally believed that the most actualized you could possibly be Mm -hmm. as a Spartan man, because as a Spartan man, you were a warrior and the best the best culmination of your life would be glorious death on the field of battle. That, that was it. Mm-hmm. That was it. That was how you were going to get into the Elysian fields. That was like, that was just, that was, that was the goal. Right. Uh, dying, dying at home, you know, at the age of 70, surrounded by your wife and your grandchildren and, you know, all the comforts of home was not a warrior's death. Right. That's for sissies. That's for that's for that's for sissies or cowards or or people who failed to find the right fight to die in. Um, and, and yet, so and yet there was like, well, I guess well, it depends on when in Sparta we're talking about. I was gonna well, say, yeah, time, there's time this period. idea of courage is not the same as recklessness. Yes, recklessness well, is on one end. That's the Aristotelian meme, but that doesn't yeah, come yeah. around until. A hundred years later from this. From Thermopylae, yeah. That's yeah. Um, and so Spartan Spartan men will spend a little bit of time talking about them. Mm-hmm. So so the Spartan army had this terrifying reputation amongst the other Greeks. Ab- like the moment the moment the Spartans said, Hey, uh, we're going to war against you. Right. Other other city states just basically said, Okay, everybody pack up your shit and get inside the city walls and we're, we're just not going out. Right. Because they're, they're going to murder us because every individual Spartan warrior was a highly trained, incredibly physically fit, physically and psychologically hardened murder bot. Mm -hmm. Like they, they were the best of the best of the best with honors, sir. Right. You know, because again, they started their training. I can't stress this enough. They started their training at age seven and they didn't get to leave the barracks until age 30. Jesus. 
Yeah, um, we're we're talking really emotionally crippling people. Like this is. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. This is far worse than 4H ever could have been. Oh oh yeah. <laughs> Hoplite. So helots. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hosta. So, hosta. Yeah. Homeboys. There you go. The 4Hs. It's yeah. perfect. Yeah. yeah. So so Spartan men mm-hmm. would go through the cryptea at roughly eighteen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they were expected to live in the barracks with their cohort mm-hmm. until the age of 30. Um, now, so they were they were expected to be this incredibly highly self-disciplined, keep your emotions totally under control, stoic, laconic, don't use unnecessary words. Like everything is is focused around this idea of of toughness and discipline like like all of the virtues that i mentioned they always come around to self-control right 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 and and so they they lived in this barracks until the age of 30 and part of how they encouraged bonding within the phalanx within the unit that you were in mm-hmm. was they encouraged and like this this is a natural outgrowth of having that many young men going through puberty and close confined quarters at a time homosexual relationships would develop and and they took that and they encouraged that mm-hmm. like uh and and furthermore they encouraged pederastic relationships relationships between grown men and, and teenage boys right and to them this was a way of building bonds within the unit this was this strengthened the bond between older teacher and younger student this this uh strengthen the bond between members of the phalanx because the men you were fighting with uh or fighting alongside were not only your brothers in arms one of them was your lover right you know and this and this is uh, well uh, no this actually all of this comes before uh epimenides oh, i can never say his fucking name right epaminondas um and uh pelopidas Yes. The two Thebans. Yeah. All of this is well before those guys. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, you know, and, and the thing is, you know, they're, they're going to be scholars and they're going to be commentators looking at this going, well, okay, so obviously they were gay. Well, all right. So we, we have to understand that the, the relationships that were involved here were overtly, clearly homosexual, but our ideas of sexual identity Right. modernly are a modern invention yeah and to the greeks around them spartans kind of had this reputation as being the pretty ones who fuck everybody um and this is this is shown very clearly in the play lysistrata yes so for those of you in the audience not familiar with you know athenian plays uh, uh, Lysistrata, you're you're a drama teacher, so of course you immediately go, oh well, yeah. But for anybody yeah. in the audience who's not aware, uh, Lysistrata was a play that was that was actually written during the Pelop- over the course of the Peloponnesian War, mm-hmm. and it was a satire of the Peloponnesian War. And in it, the title character Lysistrata is an Athenian woman, right? Who who starts a campaign to have all the women of all the Greek city states go on sex strike mm-hmm. against their husbands until the husbands all stop fighting the war, right? 
and it's and it's an Athenian, it's a classical Greek Athenian comedy. So it's, it's a farcical it's, comedy. It's, it's a farce. Yes, it's guys it's, are walking it's, around with giant dicks strapped to their bodies. Yes, to to show to the audience in the amphitheater just exactly how much pain they're in because their wives aren't giving them any. Right. And and the husband with the biggest phallus who is in the most pain, who is the youngest and lustiest of all of them is the Spartan husband. Mm -hmm. And the wife who is having the hardest time maintaining her strike and has to be restrained by her peers from the other city States is the Spartan wife. They're the young, pretty couple who just want to go off and bone because they're newlyweds and they're young. And by the way, they're Spartan and this is how Spartans are and they're all physically fit and they're all pretty. Yeah. And I, I want to, you know, that's, that's the way they got satirized in this play. So there's, so there's this, this, this nuance to the character to the way the other Greeks saw the Spartans that I think is important for us to keep in mind when we're talking about them. I, I think that I also want to push back just a little bit more even on your use of the term homosexual. Okay. Um, that in of itself is kind of an 18th or 1800s term. Um, the Spartans would have just been like, well, that's who I'm fucking like. It's not, they didn't distinguish between guy and gal in terms of, and it's not like they couldn't tell the difference, you know, yeah. but uh, yeah. one, one you do for the babies and the other one you do uh, cause you love the guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but, but this yeah. distinction between male and female coupling is, is far less important than love versus duty. Um, far, you yeah. know, and, and yeah. there is procreative right. sex and there is lovers sex and, um, whether your lover was male or female, it kind of only mattered in terms of your level of dominance, uh, in terms of social acceptability. Now I might be romanizing it a bit because, you know, I think, I think you're, I think you're romanizing it slightly. Okay. But the idea that like uh, a Spartan man having sex with another Spartan man would not ever be looked down upon or anything that should be worrisome. Um, It's kind of if you're the older man, then you should definitely be the one on top. Uh, You should be the one running the show. Yeah. Uh, And if you're the the younger man. Exactly. And if you're the younger man, you're you're the littler spoon, which is stupid because I store spoons that are all the same size right next to each other. <laughs> my tablespoons are in a different slot than my teaspoons. I would never think of storing a teaspoon inside of hooked into a tablespoon. That doesn't yeah, make no, any it's sense. Just, no, you're right. It doesn't make sense. But, but yes, the, you know. the, the giving partner uh, yeah. or the, the choosing partner uh, is the older man. Um, yeah. And so the, the just the use of the term homosexual, I'm just going to push back on in that. I, yeah, That's a Victorian yeah. use. Um, it's not appropriate Grant. here yes. because they didn't distinguish in that way. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Same you had, sex. You had loving Same. sex with your lover and yeah. you had procreative sex with your procreation partner. With your, with your spouse. With your spouse. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm going to slightly push back. Okay. Um, about a lot of friction here. About you, yes. Sex. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of it. Uh, but you know, it's kind of what makes it good up to a point. Up to a point. After a point, hey, too much friction. God gave you three inches for bad. free. After that, you have to explore. 
<laughs> so, but, but I, I will, I will, uh, I'm, I'm going to counter sure. that. Um, I, I think in, in the way that you said what you said, there might be an interpretation that um, a Spartan man having sex with a Spartan woman was always going to be motivated by duty. And it was more complicated than that. I, th- I think yeah, there, right. there, there was, there was a notion. There was, I don't know if romance is the right word, but it's the one that comes to mind. Love. You know, there, were, I mean, there was there like was in love. the good earth, how they fell in yeah. love. Yeah. yeah. You know, um and and so this is this is a really weird gray area that our modern concepts of sexuality and sexual identity and romance and marriage like all of our modern concepts of these things have have evolved in in in, to be completely different things and when i say evolved i don't mean in the pop culture darwinian sense of like improved i just mean they've mutated (laughs) Right, you know, from from what they were into something completely different. So, uh, so it is it is true. It is attested from historical sources that on their wedding night, a Spartan bride uh, would put on a man's cloak oh, to go to bed okay. with her husband on the first night because he was used to sleeping in the barracks with a bunch of other men. Right now. You know how much whether, of that is ceremonial. Versus, how much of that is ceremonial? How much of that? I know you is can't get it up until you an see actual this. Freudian thing. How much right. of that is what we don't know, but you know that was that was part of the culture. And after after marriage, a young man, if you were if you were married before thirty, mm-hmm. um, you would uh spend spend your day in maneuvers and training and whatever if you were in sparta you'd spend your day in maneuvers and training and whatever you were doing you'd go home to your house for a couple of hours and then when it came time to go to bed you'd go back to the barracks Mm. so you might go home and have a quickie with your wife right but then you're going to go back to the barracks and you may or may not yeah you may or may not you know um and 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 so there was this intense division of the male sphere and the female sphere, mm-hmm. certainly up until the age of 30. And then once that had been established, it, it carried on mm-hmm. that like, you just, I mean, I'm not going to socialize with my wife because right. I haven't That's ever socialized around women. Like, I don't know how to do that. Sure. You know, and in an interesting way, this kind of fuels the equality that the two sexes had under the law because women had to be able to take care of shit while the men were living in the barracks mm-hmm. until the age of 30. So it's, it's you know, it's it's weird. Yeah, <laughs> like, we like don't to, have to a context modern, for it. Yeah, we, we yeah. can't apply modern rationales to this kind of stuff. Sure. Um, but what's but what's interesting so so i think i think it's worth noting here that this this is what spartan manhood looked like was you mm-hmm. lived in a barracks until you were 30 after you were 30 you still spent most of your time around other men right your recreational sex partners were probably going to be male before they were female um you may or may not have you may or may not wind up developing a loving relationship with your wife but 
Right. Most of your relationship with your wife was social, political, economic, you know, and, and her role in your life was to make sure that you did your duty to the state by giving you children. Mm -hmm. And then she would hand you your shield before you went off to battle and would tell you, come back with this shield or on it. So that was a thing. That That was a thing. Okay. That was no kidding. That was a thing for a Spartan woman. The best status you could have was to be the widow of a man who had gone off and died gloriously fighting for the state. Okay. So both both sexes were tied up in the same death cult. Okay. Okay. I mean, that's one way to include women. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But okay. Yeah. (laughs) I just... Uh, it, it, it's interesting because, you know, there's nothing more toxic than an all boys club. Yes. I don't care where it's at. If yeah. it's at University of Pennsylvania uh, Duke. Or, or Duke. Well, I was thinking, you know, with, with the uh, the moving of pedophiles around. Um, oh, well, yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, UPenn. I was thinking of, you know, ubiquitous rapists, but right. sure. Also, that, yeah. that too. Which know. then, of course, brings me to a certain institution uh, that's housed in Rome. Uh, but, uh, uh, but you, again, but you have that, that all boys club thing, or you have the fucking Senate, um, you know, you have, (laughs) you have an all boys club and you're going to have problems societally. And so it's just interesting how the Spartans addressed the problem with that by kind of just co-opting, just, just getting everybody involved. Like, Just, you know, you know, know what, what it is? It feels like um, Amy got added to the A-team. That's what it feels like. That's actually a better analogy than it sounds like it should yeah, be. Yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, it. oh, shit, it like holds that, up that way sounds, too much. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, the meme of the raising the finger like, I, eh. you know, <laughs> I, I want to argue, but yeah, okay, no, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> and so so the, the 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 Spartan ideal of manhood yes was this was rooted in this idea that no no the best thing you can do as a man is die in battle mm-hmm. like that's that's the goal and yeah. un, and yeah. until you die in battle uh you're going to be a dutiful citizen you're going to show iron self-control uh, you're going to have children and preferably sons with your wife. Right. Um, and you're going to be a loyal lover to your boyfriend, you know, and, 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 and so there's, there's two, to our way of looking at it, the Spartan mm-hmm. ideal of manhood um, is, is both, <laughs> Like okay, no, I can totally see that's that stereotypical modern toxic masculinity. And I was gonna say it's we, hyper broy. It's it's hyper like it's it's take broy up to the point of no no, and then we're gonna get gay with it for a minute, right? Like like bros and, before hose, bro, bros before hose in all aspects right. of life. Yes, and um and and what what is and 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 part of it that i also want to include is their idea of masculinity also had a significant component of masculine beauty 
Yes. That was very Greek. Mm -hmm. And that other Greeks looked at and went, you guys are taking this a little far. Yeah. But because, it's like, who's going to tell them? Because, like, yeah, it's you're like, just going to, you know. They're going to uh, smash you with a shield. Just, yeah, because I'm sure the, the thespians were looking over at him before before the Battle of Thermopylae going, hey, um, uh, Patroclus, t- yeah. take a look over there. Tell me something. Yeah? What's, what's up? <laughs> I like that you use Patroclus, too. What, what's, what's up, Eurus? Um, Pat, tell me, are they... Are they putting on rouge? <laughs> yes, they are. What? No, they can't be putting on. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's 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 rouge. Oh, right. I guess they're adding right. rouge brushes to their equipment right. kit right. now. And and um, <laughs> is, is it just me? Do you smell perfume? No, it's not just you. That's yeah. that's actually that's that's perfume. Yeah. Okay. Just making sure. Just wanted to like. Martins, what is your scent? Lilac. <laughs> <You know? laughs> <laughs> could be yeah um but but yeah they they perfumed themselves they they oiled their beards combed their combed and braided their hair mm-hmm. and and depending on the source put on makeup which by the way that last part that mm-hmm. last part was left out of the sources that were taught to me when i learned this stuff mm-hmm. you know metric, the makeup got left out the part of no no they wanted oh, to look did. best before they died that I got taught. The makeup part, no, no, I didn't hear that. <laughs> didn't learn that until later in life. Yeah, no. Okay, so so that was the Spartan idea of masculinity, mm-hmm. and that's and that's what the Spartans looked like and did before the Battle of Thermopylae. Historically, now I'm going to get to one of the biggest things that Frank Miller fucked up. Oh, the rhinoceros. Well, that too. Okay, but. He he chose to tell the story of what he considered to be mm-hmm. this paragon, this this group of paragons of masculinity, and so the beauty part of it mm-hmm. got left out of the story entirely. Oh, it got put back in the movie though. Whew. Well, but but in but in the comic and in the movie, we don't see them combing their hair before the battle. We don't see them braiding their hair before the battle. We don't see. Yeah, them. they're just kind of naturally pretty. They're they're just yeah. they're well they're natural they're naturally cut because, you know the the. I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this, but <laughs> if you're gonna if you're gonna be cultish about hypermasculinity, there's always going to be a mildly homoerotic subtext of oh yeah, and they're all like, you know, fucking cut and they're, you know, yeah. rippling muscles and you can see all their abs and, you're, and you got to well, show off. The male gotta, gaze has at its core an inherent objective, uh, objectifying yes. gaze yes. that also ca- carries with it sexual connotation of some sort. That is 100% the male gaze every time will have that aspect to its objectification. Yeah. And so that means by nature you you sexualize yeah your your ideal no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. And and so the, the male you, gaze thank is you for very queen. eloquently. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for eloquently summarizing what I was struggling to try to say. Yeah, sure. no, you're you're totally correct there. And that's that's what I was trying to get around to saying there. Mm-hmm. But but the consciousness, the self-consciousness on their part of their beauty. Right. Of no, no. When we go to die, 
we're going to present a good looking corpse. Right. Got left out completely because caring about being pretty not to manly. Frank Miller and right. to modern American sensibilities is not manly. Goes right back to Pat Buchanan's thing about the, those values up in New York and talking about perversion and shit like that. I mean, oh, yeah. right back oh. to 1992. Oh, yeah. Totally yeah. goes right back. Yeah. And it goes back farther than that. It goes back to Jerry Falwell and Reagan and, I mean, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Um, Rock Hudson. Yes. Uh. <laughs> Steve and, Reeves. Again, uh, you yeah, go, you get right yeah. back to the gay icon. Yeah. 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 So at the same time, everything I just said about Spartan men um, on their wedding night, their, their new wife wearing a man's cloak, mm-hmm. everything I just said about, you know, homosexual relationships among Spartan warriors at all, all of that. Mm-hmm. is utterly excised from Miller's storytelling. The, the only the only outright examples of any expression of sexuality in the comic book mm-hmm. come in a couple of places. Um, we see Leonidas um, clearly having loving romantic feelings for his wife right his wife is raped by another spartan man right yeah yeah and and i want to take a second to talk about this because this is another example of 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 miller just being fucked up so uh for those of you spoilers for anybody who hasn't read or, or seen 300 this this other spartan noble essentially um is is a rival of leonidas's mm-hmm. sort of and and he and uh he's part of the council back he's home. he's he's part of the council yeah and in order to Which, he's, by the he's, way sets up the military versus politician trope this is true yeah. yes very much which is kind of funny because in actual Spartan society, he would have been just as much a warrior as every other Spartan male. Right. Um, but he approaches uh, Leonidas's wife, uh, Gorgo. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically he tells her uh, in, in order for your husband to receive any reinforcement, to receive any help, uh, you're gonna have to fuck me, and if right. if you don't if you don't give your body to me, I'm not gonna do this. And right. you love your husband. Your husband loves you because somehow we're portraying the king of Sparta as this you know paragon of American ideas of traditional family values, which mm-hmm. is like so completely anti-historical as to be like fucking laughable if it didn't make me so angry. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, in order to save your husband, you have to betray your husband and sleep with me. Yeah. And, and it's turned into this thing like where, you know, she has to make the choice. And it's like, that's not a choice. He fucking rapes her. Right. Like that, that is, that is textbook coercion. Mm -hmm. But Miller tries to sell it to us. As Gorgo being this strong woman who makes this difficult choice, 
And then the asshole who does it literally says to her, uh, this will not be quick and you will not enjoy it. Yeah, that made its way into the movie as well. Like, Frank, what the fuck, bro? I mean, Frank Miller did Dark Knight. Like Frank, well, did that part where 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 uh, Bullseye kisses Electra after stabbing her through with her own sigh? He doesn't just stab her and drops her corpse. He kisses her. Like he's big on that transgressive button, and it's a good button to hit if you want to make someone a villain. It's a little lazy, I think, but. Well, it's lazy, and when yeah. you do it so often, because you're also leaving out his other magnum opus, mm-hmm. Sin City. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's right. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, in, in the argument that Miller fanboys are going to make is, well, you know, everybody in that commits violence against everybody else. It's not just violence against women. Okay, no, here's the deal. The, the violence that's truly sensationalized and that is used for titillation purposes is the violence against women. Don't, mm-hmm. don't, don't sugarcoat it. Right. So, you know, so, so he, he, he makes this choice to be not on to try not only to be like hyper straight but like rapey hyper straight yeah and then on the other side we see in in the persian camp when ephialtes is is promised you know high station all this for having having betrayed the spartans um he gets seduced into this orgy with with all of these you know heavily heavily pierced again all the piercings Mm -hmm. is like a thing in the artwork and then in the film you know of these of these courtesans in this you know oh yeah marijuana smoke trap yeah you know you know kind of opium everywhere opium opium den kind of kind of thing and and you know in all the writhing bodies it's hard to tell if if you know there are men and women in there and like Mm -hmm. there's this homosexual kind of weird weird ambisexual i won't say homosexual this weird ambisexual overtone and again xerxes is portrayed like everybody's nearly naked in the film but but Mm -hmm. the way xerxes is naked it's a sexual naked it's a sexual naked as opposed to a manly you know it's a leading with your hips not not leading with your shoulders that that's Mm -hmm. yes very very perceptive yeah Mm -hmm. um very effeminized Mm -hmm. uh kind of kind of nakedness slutty yeah yeah and well to frank miller that's feminized feminized actually i was gonna say uh, more vampy quite honestly okay yeah that works that works too um and and so so miller decides i'm gonna ignore all the historicity of of like what ancient civilizations in general thought about sexuality. And I'm going to impose mm-hmm. this very eighties American puritanically uh, informed set of set of tropes about sex. Mm-hmm. And all of my Spartans are going to be so straight as to almost be sexless. Right. Unless they're corrupt, in which case, you know, he's a rapist. Like, you know, and 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 yeah. and it's 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 again, 
he was not conscious of his own agenda, mm-hmm. but looking at it from, you know, uh, 20 plus years later mm-hmm. uh, and, and with the, the advantage of, you know, uh, looking with hindsight at, you know, the, the rise of the me too movement and everything that's happened in sexual politics in our country in the last 20 plus years, it's really clear there was an agenda here. Right. And he wasn't aware of it. And it wound up warping the story that he told. Yeah. I mean, that's... and, and because this is pop culture's biggest window, this became pop culture's biggest window onto ancient Greece and the cultures of Athens and Sparta, it has warped our perception of them mm-hmm. as a, as a culture. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, well, who um, controls the stories controls the culture. Well, yeah. So when you make a visual story of a textual story, and then you make a visual moving version of that visual story, yeah, you are memifying the shit out of it to the point where uh, you have completely like now you. There was this wonderful skit on SNL years and years ago, back when Kevin Nealon was on SNL, back okay. when I think, yeah, Phil Hartman was still there. Oh, um, okay. Dolly Parton was the guest and she's sitting around talking to them and they're like, hey, Dolly, did you ever grow up hearing stories? She's like, matter of fact, we did. We didn't have TV like y'all did. And my daddy used to tell us stories. Oh, and she starts telling you, telling the story of like this, this man who's married to a witch and how she also, you know, the, the, the witch has also got their mom who comes and visits and it's very clear. And so she basically just retells a bunch of sitcoms nice. and they're like, wow. And, and then somebody like chimes in, I think Mike Myers is like, Oh yeah, yeah. That, that, you know, and, and did he have a such and such? And then somebody slaps him on the chat, you know, on the sh- shoulder, like, dude, shut the fuck up. And, and she's like, how did you know about that? Well, I, I had family in the Tennessee Valley area as well. Uh, and, you know, so it's, it's all this kind of funny thing, but mm-hmm. she leaves to go, to go do makeup or costuming for the next scene. And they're all sitting around and they're like, well, isn't that just sad? Like dad, her dad just told her stories from TV. And then somebody's like, what if her Darren had curly hair? Maybe she really does get more out of this than we do. Because she had her imagination to fill in the blanks on how these people looked, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I just remember what if her Darren had curly hair because <laughs> uh, neither guy playing Darren had curly hair. Yeah, this is true. Uh, but uh, but so when you take what is a an imagination story mm-hmm. that Herodotus gave us yeah, and there's historiography all around it and then you codify it visually. Yeah. In a comic book, that's one thing, but then you put it up on the screen, and now everybody thinks that Leonidas 100% looks like a Scotsman. Everybody <laughs> thinks that, yeah, yeah, uh, he has this, he has this very northern European bone structure to yeah. his face, and everybody yeah. thinks that, um, uh, the what's his name, uh, Ephedrines, Ephialtes, okay, Epiphedron, um. <laughs> Everybody thinks that he's a hunchback now. <laughs> and how many people think that Xerxes 
is exceptionally tall and really uh, homoerotic. Oddly androgynous. Right. Yeah. Um, aggressively androgynous. Aggressively. <laughs> yeah. I, I like know? the phrase aggressively androgynous. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, but how many people yeah. now that's the image? Because I'll tell yeah. you, my students were all shocked. This again, I was teaching Latin, but every once in a while I'd throw yeah. other stuff in there. They're all shocked to find out that James Madison was five foot two and 115 pounds because I mean, they knew he wasn't black, but if you watch Hamilton, oh, he's a big dude, he's built like a brick shit house, <laughs> he's a mountain of a man. <laughs> yeah, so but that's not what James James Madison's the smallest president we ever had. Yep, um. And so they're stunned to find out that he was not fatter than James Garfield, you know, like, yeah. And so again, you control the visual and you have memefied the entirety of that story. Now Mm -hmm. you've limited their imagination to the point where Darren does not have curly hair. Yeah, no, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So within, within Greece, Mm -hmm. Sparta had this earned reputation. Mm Mm-hmm. As being, as I said in the last episode, the best of the best of the best with honors, sir. Right. Right. And and this is the foundation of their culture. This is their whole, it's, it's like that one guy, you know, who guns are like his whole personality. Right. He's the guy in the <laughs> early 2000s who everything was about bacon. Yeah. 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 That's, that's, that is their one note. That yes. is, that is their, their yeah. hat is, is. <laughs> I'm they, so straight. They... I only fuck tits. You know, it's like that. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Um, and and so so they they were they were this terrifying military juggernaut. Sure. They for a while. Were, well, yeah, for a while. They were the the best trained, most physically conditioned. I mean, oh, yeah. they, they were just they were a military machine. <laughs> and so and so in 490. Mm-hmm. They arrived to Athens a day after the Battle of Marathon, <laughs> went to tour the battlefield and saw the aftermath of the conflict and had to admit through bitter clenched teeth that the Athenians had won a remarkable victory. Mm-hmm. Now they had to do that because they got there a day late, right? Because we do not fight during the Carnea. Now, if you've seen 300, if you've read the comic, mm-hmm. you're going to recognize there will be no fighting during the Carnea. It's, it's, it's right. a big, it's a big part of the it's story. Big, yeah. Because, because it was a big part of the source in Herodotus. Now, the thing is this, this is rooted in actual cultural fact. Every year, the Spartans held a harvest and kind of atonement festival to Apollo Carnaeus. Okay. In, in essentially the month of August. The, the, mm-hmm. the ancient Greek calendar doesn't line up with the modern calendar, but in the time yeah. of year it was, it was roughly it's July, August. Summer harvest. Yeah. yeah. It lasted eight days from Makes roughly sense. the seventh day to the 15th day of their month. And all large-scale military actions were put on hold during the festival. This is because of the roots of the celebration. Mm-hmm. The ancestors of the Spartans, the people who had shown up and conquered the Helots, mm-hmm. um, had their army had suffered a massive plague that only stopped when they instituted the festival. 
And the reason they believed the plague had been visited upon them was because their ancestors, Mm -hmm. this army, had killed a seer of Apollo who they believed had been selling secrets to their enemies. Okay. And so the Carnea was harvest festival that also had this kind of atonement kind of aspect to it. So the battle of marathon had coincided with the Carnea. So the Spartans weren't able to mobilize in time to participate. Mm-hmm. Marathon was a massive orgy of manful death. Oh, they missed out. They missed out. Yeah. And and alongside that, they had to admit that those bookish feet fucking nerds from Athens had been right. the ones to actually fucking win. Right. And, and that by itself was a huge blow to the Spartans' collective ego. Now, in 490, when they visited the battlefield, according to Herodotus, Leonidas mm-hmm. was the leader of the army who went, and he had to admit that this was an incredible victory the Athenians had won. Okay. So, um, so, so the, the parts of Miller's depiction of the Spartan warrior attitude toward the other Greeks Mm -hmm. was largely entirely correct. They, they looked down on warriors from any place else because you're amateurs. Right. It's the you, know, you there. What do you do? You, what do yeah, you do? What, Spartans, do, you do? What, is Spartans, what is your profession? Yeah. 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 And so there's, there's, that is, that is something that Miller actually gets right. Mm-hmm. That, that cultural note, but then he goes and fucks it up by having one of, one of his characters talk about, uh, uh, speak disparagingly of the Athenians about well you know if they can stop fucking boys long enough to send us help right the boy lovers in Athens yeah yeah the boy lovers right. of Athens there you go yeah right uh, when when he, when he mentions the boy lovers of Athens anybody who knows anything about classical history is like rule hold up yeah yeah uh, uh, does uh, protest like, too much yeah. yeah and and um Miller Miller got confronted about that like I I think it was Neil Gaiman. Mm-hmm. said okay look like i don't i don't think you are a homophobe for saying that right like i mean i think neil was being very nice i'm pretty sure giving I'm, him an I'm, out i think yeah i was giving yeah. him an out there that i'm personally unsure he deserves <laughs> but but it's like i i don't i don't think you're a homophobe but i i, I want to say part of neil gaiman's quote was frank read a book yeah you know no or listen to some songs about it like i don't know sweet caroline oh fuck you good day sir have i told you that my son walks around the house singing that now really he does he's like sweet and then julia julia in the background you'll hear her in the other room go your kids are your kids are so too, too sweet for words. So That's great. So, so Neil Diamond had a problem with it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Basically, said Frank Miller and uh, the, who is the author of the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, he and Shelby Foote can't be on Spotify with him at the same time. Mm. So okay. Have I mixed up names again? <laughs> Pretty badly. Yeah. yeah. 
pretty. Put my Shelby that's, foot in my mouth. That's ooh. See that one? I'm not even mad about. That's yeah. pretty damn good. All right, but so okay, but so, yeah, Mark Wahlberg. But, but, but so. <laughs> You just keep, you know, yeah, one one step to the malapropin my way away. Yeah. Yeah. So, but uh, uh, you know, Neil Gaiman called him out and said, you know, it's 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 totally historically inaccurate. Mm -hmm. And and Frank, to like, you got to admire the guy's chutzpah. Oh boy. Uh, oh boy. Responded with, well, no, I mean, I I know that the Spartans did that, but like, you know, the Spartans could be hypocrites. Like, okay, but no. they wouldn't have seen anything wrong with it, so there's nothing to be critical about. They wouldn't have looked down on it, so it wouldn't be anything to be hypocritical right. about, number one. Number two, you're trying to make that argument about, you know, well, they could be hypocrites about it, but ev- literally everything else in this book is you wanking off about what a manful example of virtue the fucking Spartans are. Mm-hmm. Like, like you just, you just hero worship these guys to the ends of the earth. And now you're trying to make us think, oh no, I wrote that in as like, you know, they're, they're being, it's, that's one of their flaws is they're, they're like hypocritical that way. No, fuck you, Frank. Right. No, you don't No, you, I'm not going to, I'm not giving that one to you. No. Right. Right. So, um, and, and. So the, the whole the whole deal with the Carnea then comes up in the comic mm-hmm. because it historically was a big deal at the mm-hmm. time of Thermopylae because a few years, about a decade goes by, <clears throat> Darius's invasion fails, Darius dies, his son Xerxes right. decides he's going to, all right, no, no, we're going to, we're still going to punish the Greeks. Right. And so in 480, Xerxes invades and he comes down through Macedon. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he goes, he goes essentially through, through largely a land route. Right. And he goes through the butthole down into the stomach and then back up and out the trunk. Yes. Yes. Except Macedon, not Mastodon. Oh, sorry. That's <laughs> boy. Am I embarrassed? A little bit and no you're not you're you're <laughs> immune to embarrassment we all know this by also now true. so yeah so and and xerxes shows up with with the kind of army that only the persian empire could put together at the time right um and and he dri- literally drives everybody before him mm-hmm. uh states states that he encounters either surrender or they're crushed and their populations were enslaved right and so word of this reaches sparta during the Carnea again, because you know, ancient warfare being what it is, the time of year during which weather conditions are good for you to be marching means that, like, the Carnea happens basically kind of late in the campaign season. In some ways, the Carnea is a good way to get people out of a battlefield where bodily fluids are spilling everywhere and cholera reigns. This is true. Just saying it's a good little quarantine there. Yeah. 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 So the Spartans get word during the Carnea and okay, well, we can't send the army because we're not going to fight during the Carnea, but historically the a force decide, okay, look, we can dodge the religious restriction. Right. We're not going to send the whole army. Just the we're king send- and 300 
we're, we're going to send, we're going to send a small force and right. Leonidas volunteers or gets picked to, sure. to be the one to lead it. And he takes the, the force of 300, his Royal bodyguard, the Hippias. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they're his bodyguards. Now, according to the legend of Thermopylae from Herodotus, he knew because of a prophecy, he went to a seer and, and there was, or, mm-hmm. or the Spartans had a seer speak to them. Sure. And, and there was a prophecy that spoke of the sacrifice of a descendant of Heracles. And since and, Leonidas's two older brothers were already gone, it kind of falls to him. Yes. And Leonidas, Leonidas was a descendant of Heracles. And so, and he knew the force he was going to have was not going to be numerically sufficient for a victory. He knew it was going to be, he knew he, he knew he and his men were marching to, to their deaths. Sure. So, which is picked, awesome. For yes. Them. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, like that's, that's what you do. Mm-hmm. But he made, he, and again, this is in 300 and it is taken directly from Herodotus. He selected men who had already had sons. So their that family, their so their so family, yes, yeah, so their family lines wouldn't go extinct. Mm-hmm. Now, everything I just said mm-hmm. is the history that we have from Herodotus. Sure. If you want to put scare quotes around history because it's Herodotus, feel free. But yeah. Yeah. That is the historical source that, that we get this from. Mm-hmm. And Miller fucks it up. <laughs> because Miller has to turn the whole thing into an opportunity to make Leonidas the hero right. of the story. And instead of the A4s going, okay, no, look, we have to send a force to slow the, to slow the Persians down, for one thing. Mm-hmm. Because militarily, we, we have to do it right. for our own survival and the survival of all of our neighbors. Like, you know, we, we need every, somebody's got to, somebody's got to at least slow them down. Right. One, two, we missed out on Marathon. We can't like, for the sake of our collective identity, we can't miss out on this. Mm-hmm. So we got to send somebody for, for the sake of our own self-image. And so the, so historically, the A4s make the decision and they send Leonidas with, with his men. Mm-hmm. For Miller, because he's got to make Leonidas a hero, like even though in a classical sense Leonidas already is one, like you don't you don't need to embroider this, you don't need to gild this lily, right? But but Miller has to gild the lily. So not only is Leonidas taking this force of three hundred men who he knows they're all going to their deaths and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But for Leonidas, he now has to do this. He's the one who comes up with the loophole of, well, you know, I'm just going to take a few minutes and go check the site out. Yeah, he kind of outsmarts the politicians, right? He, yes, yeah. yes. And in this case, the politicians haven't even gotten involved yet because this is the religious authorities. Mm. This, this is the, the, the council and the, their, their seers, priests, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and there's this invented set of oracles that, that Miller makes up and he throws in a scene with a naked dancing girl who's under the effect of henbane as a hallucinogen. Right. And, and makes a big deal of all these gross old men lusting after this young woman and like, 
these men have all been bought off by the Persians. So the whole reason they say, no, the gods say we're not going to go fight during the, the Carnea is because they've been bought by the Persians with sex and money. Right. And so sex is evil and foreign money foreign Ooh. money you know remember remember all that shit in the 90s about the dnc getting money from china oh yeah i'd forgotten about that yeah that's okay yeah okay there you go and so and so he creates this bullshit story right that includes a gratuitous scene of nudity of a young woman being lusted after by older men who we are led to understand are going to rape her while she's under the effects of this hallucinogenic thing because it's Frank Miller and sexual violence is just like his jam, Mm -hmm. you know, and, 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 and so again, and all of this serves the purpose of taking Leonidas who's already a heroic figure and trying to turn him into an American style hero where he's not merely heroic for the deeds he did. He's heroic for his virtue. Right. Right. He's, he's the one standing up to do the right thing. Yeah. It's, it's clearly America versus Iran in this movie. It's, Oh, well, yeah, we'll, we'll get, we'll get, we'll get to the movie here in a minute. Cause that's, that's a whole other, that's a whole other permutation of this. Sure. So now historically also, I skipped over this a minute ago, but I want to go back to it real quick. Mm-hmm. So um, the comic and the film both include this truly iconic scene. Gerard Butler does an amazing job in this, in this moment mm-hmm. in the film where the Persian messengers show up at Sparta and uh, the, the Persian messenger you know, says it's, it's a very small thing. You just need to give me an offering of earth and water. You'll get to keep all of your territory. Right. We'll, we'll you know, you'll, you'll still be a king. You'll just, you'll just be part of the Persian empire. You'll right. Just, just you know, submit. Just one submit. Time. It's easy. Yeah. That's all you got to do. And, uh, you know, they kill the one messenger and the essentially you senior messenger do. says, you're yeah. killing a messenger. This is madness madness this is sparta and it's this it's this statement of identity it's a statement of of you know fuck you we're you're not gonna we're not gonna let you rule us and he kicks the guy into the well and i mean it is this visually incredible moment in both media Mm -hmm. um it's this it's this moment that like no matter (laughs) even after everything i have said about frank miller up to this point even after we finish this episode if i were to sit down and read the comic again that moment would still be one where a part of me would be like fuck yeah because it's just that powerful i mean it's you know and and so that is actually attested in the historical sources yeah, that the, the that Persians exists. The, the Persians, the Persians yep. sent messengers to the Athenians and to the Spartans, mm-hmm. uh, and the Spartans murdered the messengers and, right. and kicked them in and kicked them into a well. Right. Two things, two things that I think are very important that Miller leaves out, and then and then a punchline. First, both the Athenians and the Spartans told the messengers to fuck off. The Athenians put
put the messengers on trial and then executed them. Again, with the democracy and the, the having. <laughs> yeah, yeah, due process, right? Right, I mean, yeah. Come on. The Spartans well, just outright, just, yeah, yeah, no, the Spartans just outright kicked them into a well and killed them. Yeah. Because Spartans. Right. That's number one. The Athenians did the same shit. Right. Okay. Yeah. Point number two. And, and, and this is, this is something about the Spartan character that I think gets lost in Miller's translation because he leaves this out. The Spartans murdered the messengers and then deputized two of their own citizens to say, you're going to go to Xerxes or actually you're going to go to Darius because we killed his messengers. And so as a way to show that we're not barbarians, we're going to send you to him in payment. And, right. you know, he's probably going to fucking kill you. So, right. but fair's fair. So here you go, <laughs> which, which is kind of metal as fuck. Like, but it's also decidedly less. This is Sparta. Like, yeah, it is much less. We care about our people. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it is. Yeah. And so um, the other, the, the punchline to all of this is that was actually before marathon. That exchange was not Thermopylae. That was Marathon. Oh, okay. Okay. So, so he takes this moment mm-hmm. and moves it forward in right. time to make it a useful uh, prop in the story he's trying to tell. See, this sounds to me like he's watched Mel Gibson movies then. Like he watched Braveheart. He's like, oh, who cares about time? and location oh, yeah. yeah timeline no. geography whatever. No, fuck it yeah. don't need that fuck this it. is heroic <laughs> yeah yeah so now getting back to actually thermopylae we're now mm-hmm. going back to 480 yeah yeah so the spartans march off knowing that they're going to lose and being spartans if they lose they're going to die because that's right. just how it works Along the way, and this was part of the plan that the A4s and Leonidas had from the beginning, the Spartans pick up reinforcements from other Mm city-states, most notably Thebes and Thespia. People who are not bound by the Cornea. Yeah. Yeah. And so by the time they got to Thermopylae, there were 7,000 Greeks in the force. Right. Multiple city-states. Right. Now... Which has now deepened the stakes for everybody around them, too. Yes. 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 Immensely. Smart. Very smart diplomacy uh, by way of accretion. Yes. So, And so the Greeks mm-hmm. would have had an understanding in the face of Persian opposition. They would have had an understanding that we are, we, we have more in common with each other than we do with our enemy. But to the Greeks, they were still a multinational force. They would have they would have seen one another as they they would have they may have spoken of each other as Greeks, but they would have said, "Well, no, I'm a Spartan. You're a Thespian. Right. You're a Theban. Right. Exactly. You're a Phocian. Like you know that was that was the core of their identity was to their own polis. Yeah, of course, of course. They were they were united by a largely common language. We quibbled about that in the last episode. Mm-hmm. But but they they wouldn't have considered themselves one people. Exactly. Until you have the pressures from outside. Until yeah, until you have yeah. the pressure from outside, at which point it would be kind of like 
our alliance with Great Britain and Australia is like mm-hmm. we're all the English speaking peoples to right. borrow from Churchill, but I'm still an American. You're still a convict and you're still an imperialist, you know, noblesse oblige jackass right. from Europe because, you know, we, we, we are the true heirs of Western culture and all the rest of it. Right. You know, right. Some, some, you know, mutation, but we got to take I'm speaking with sarcasm, so. by the way, for everybody listening, if you, if yeah. you didn't pick up on it, no, no, like, no, love, love you, my Commonwealth brethren and sister. Um, so, but, but like our, our identity is still, I'm an American, you're an Aussie, you're a Brit, right. you're a Canuck, you know. Right, yeah. Um, we're and, allied. And we're the, yeah, we're, we're the allies. We, yeah, we, we, we are the allies, but once we are this not. Once over. Yeah, yeah we, we are not one people. We're all going to go home to our own countries. Yes. The Persian army, mm-hmm. first of all, uh, I, I spoke earlier about how ancient sources numbered the Persian army at somewhere upwards of a million and some some stories made it as high as four million mm-hmm. when they left Persia. That's fanciful. It's 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 modern modern military historians look at that and are like shake their heads and, and laugh. Yeah. Just um, the logistics alone. The yeah and, and that's actually where modern modern scholarly numbers it's somewhere between 120,000 and 300,000. That's a fuck a lot. Which, which still, for the ancient world, that's an incredibly that's huge enormous. number of men. Yeah. Um, and that's against based 7, on modern. 000. Yeah, against 7,000. <laughs> that's based on modern estimates of the Persians' actual logistical capacity at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we can't know for sure the number actually present at Thermopylae because remember, by the time the Persians got there, they had been marching all the way through Macedon. And so we don't know how many troops they left behind. Like you want to do when you're playing risk in Mm -hmm. order to hold on to territory, you've got to leave garrisons behind to maintain control of the territory you've conquered. Mm -hmm. But they easily still would have had like a tenfold advantage or much more over the Greeks Oh yeah. oh yeah now miller does not make any any effort at all to be accurate about any of these numbers at all and the biggest crime he commits uh in my opinion mm-hmm. is the thebans and the thespians and the rest of the greeks show up piecemeal And they are never, none of them in their individual groups are ever a bigger group than the Spartans. Now, part of that is an effect of the focus of the story is on the Spartans. Sure, sure. But he is telling a story to glorify the Spartans. Mm -hmm. So in point of fact, the Thespians sent a group of 700 Mm-hmm. The Phocians had a group of 500. I'm trying to remember which other city state it was. There was a group of a thousand sent from right. one polis. The, the forces of the Greeks at Thermopylae were made up of a, of a force that the vast majority of the force was non-Spartan. But mm-hmm. to look at the images and the story that Miller chooses to tell, mm-hmm the other greeks aren't aren't there we don't see them right and again 
you can say, well, you know, he's focusing on them. This is an effective focus. I, it goes beyond that mm-hmm. because he is, he is contemptuous of the other Greeks, the contribution of the other Greeks, like Leonidas got to Thermopylae mm-hmm. and found that the gates within the hot gates, mm-hmm. the Phocians had already had a force there for at least a week before the Spartans arrived mm-hmm. and they had built fortifications. They, they had built a partial wall that narrowed the pass even more than it naturally already was. Mm-hmm. And that was, in, and Leonidas looked at that and went, okay, well, this is where our battle line is going to be. Cause this, this is right. You know, we, look at we, the work you've done. Look at the work you've done. And Leonidas historically was a smart enough guy to look at his allies and not be openly contemptuous of them. Right. Because he wasn't an idiot. Right. You know, he knows I mean, that he's going to die, but like, oh, the more of you that are here, the, the, the more of them we can take with us. Yeah. And the more effective we can be, the better we can hold them, you know, to allow everybody else to, to build forces and do what they've got to do. Right. Right. Um, and so, so this Greek force arrives and this Greek force historically mm-hmm. is multinational. Um, they set up in a prepared position. Okay. Mm-hmm. And Leonidas immediately deputizes. He finds out about the goat track. That's, right. that's going to allow the locals tell him, Hey, you should know we've used this goat track for years to, you know, get around to get around the terrain right he sends a group of a couple of hundred thespians i want to say it was to defend that like you guys had i am trusting you guys to go be the ones to defend our flank here we need you to hold that pass if if they find out about it we need you to defend it none of that happens in miller's story None of that happens in Miller's story. Miller's story, it's Spartans, what is your profession? <gasps> and they all, you know, raise their spears and it's right. all, you know, look at us. We're so much more manly than you are. Fuck all of you. Yeah, you're here, but like, don't get in our way. I mean, you know, it's, it's yeah, this... I mean, it's very much don't get in our way. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Why don't you fall to the back? See if you can be useful. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and like the Spartans certainly would have said, okay, look, we're going to be the tip of the spear. We're going to be in the front because we're glory hounds. That's what we want. Also, by the way, mm-hmm. we're, we're the best equipped. We're the best trained. We're the most disciplined. Yeah. We're the t- like, we're it's the not guys like they that, didn't have good arguments for this. Yeah, no, they, they were the guys to do that job, you know, and it also right. was an emotional payoff for them. Mm-hmm. But but to Miller, there's this jock, this there's this frat boy jocular, no, we're just better than you are, you know, fuck off wimps kind of thing going right. on. And then everything I've already mentioned with Effialtes showing up mm-hmm. and the very matter-of-fact excuse for ableism that he like like a a full-throated defense of ableism that he mm-hmm. makes in dismissing Effialtes, who then turns into the betrayer who tells the Persians about the goat track, which in Miller's story isn't being defended by the thespians or Phocians. And so winds up being the, you know, fatal weakness, you know, and, and so he's telling, he's, he's telling this warped version of the story. 
Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that he oddly chooses to get right is the portrayal of the Persian army. Now, he sticks with the ancient sources in the exaggeration of how big the Persian army is. Mm-hmm. But one of the details that he emphasizes is that the Persian army was even more ethnically and culturally diverse than the, than the forces made up of the Greek city-states. Sure. There were Scythians, there were uh, uh, Babylonians, there were, uh, I want to say they were were referred to as uh, Hindushans Mm -hmm. or Kushites, basically Indians. Mm -hmm. Uh, There there was this huge multinational group of conscripts from all across the Persian Empire. And so all the Greeks in Miller's telling we only see the Spartans and the other Greeks, everybody, everybody's a Greek, but then visually all the different forces of the Persian army are very clearly very different. And they're all visually recognizable as being from different cultures. He never gives them enough attention to say, these are the Scythians. These are the, these are the Babylonians. These are the whoever, but they're very clearly different. They're very clearly from different parts of the empire. It almost sounds like, though, that that's a weakness, not a strength. That's what makes them scary to Miller. They're multicultural. Oh. Uh, How Pat Buchanan can you get? Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and, and like, so you, you jokingly, Mm -hmm. uh, mentioned the rhinoceri. Mm-hmm. Right, one of one of the things in the comic, and it's it's an amazing visually. It's a killer oh, it's scene beautiful, in the movie. Yeah. Uh, is is the is the armored rhinoceri getting released into the into the Greek lines and the havoc they create? Okay, well that's very clearly African. If right. You see the troops with them are very clearly they have African features. And they, right. Again, with the weird facial jewelry and the piercings and all the stuff, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. like, well, this looks very African. But like, if you showed that to anybody of you know, who, who does African studies or actually studies traditional African cultures from the time period, they'd be like, nobody wore that shit. Right. Like visually it's shorthand for this is, you know, sub-Saharan African, but no. Right. Like just no. Um, and, and then, um, you know, the, the gunpowder bomb throwing, wizards Mm -hmm. that he has and the and the troops that are very clearly scythians right you know uh with the with the brightly almost motley looking very brightly colored scythian pattern kind of clothing um like he plays up the diversity of the persian army Mm -hmm. whereas everybody we see on the greek side it's all the spartans and they are a monolith right because this is Western culture and the purity of Western culture with a capital W, whatever the fuck that means when you really pin it down. But anyway, standing against multiculturalism mm-hmm. like that's that's part of. And again, I don't think he consciously realized that's what he was writing. 
but it's very clearly defending your land from hostile immigrants. Yes. Yeah. Or hostile invaders. And to him, immigrant means the same thing. Yes. And, and here's, here's the thing. It is, it is certainly valid that in military historical scholarly circles, one of the things that the Battle of Thermopylae has been used as is an example of the strength of troops defending their own territory. Yes. Defending their own home. Yes. That is true. However, the spin that we see Miller put on that is profoundly culturally chauvinistic. Mm-hmm. And all of the Persians are, uh, all, all of the forces of the Persians are demonic or monstrous. Mm-hmm. Um, if you actually look at the historical armor of a Persian immortal, mm-hmm. um, the actual Persian immortals were chariot troops in heavy armor. They were, they were like cataphracts of the period. Mm-hmm. And they were called, they, it is true, they were called immortals because there were so many of them that you could kill a thousand of them and they just keep coming. Sure. But in his interpretation of the story and then in the movie, which is again, shot for shot, the yeah. comic book, they look like ninja. They, they have these right. armored face masks that look like a, a Middle Easternified version of like a Japanese Kabuto helmet mask. Yeah, they remind me of the bad guys in Top Gun. That's a good comparison, yeah. Mm-hmm. The because the because the, the Soviet pilots always have their visors down. Right. Which like or are they Soviet? Or are they we don't know. Yeah. You know. They're the enemy. We know that. Mm-hmm. That's all we know. Well, the big red star on the back fin of the jets. Could be China. Giveaway. Could be China. Could be Korea. Never, Could be Korea. I, it's, just, it's in the Indian Ocean. Russia doesn't uh, really hang out in the Indian Ocean very often. And they might. I mean, don't get me wrong. They're yeah. probably torturing POWs in Vietnam. That's why Rambo had to go over there and save them. But, <sighs> yeah, right. Yeah, good point. But... <laughs> But yeah, my point is that they are nameless, yeah. faceless, featureless. Yeah. yeah, agents, agents of the despotic. Exactly. And yeah. their faces are covered. Yeah. So okay. And so, and and again and again, we're back to the ethos of this movie is very eighties, despite, despite it being made in two thousand eight and the comic being written in nineteen ninety eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. I wonder. Um, I wonder what's going on. In by the way, I believe the movie was made in two thousand six, or it was released in two thousand six. Uh, the source I found earlier today said 2008. Huh. Wikipedia told me 2008. Let me double check. Wow. Okay, Hold on. I may have I may have miss. I remember because here's why I remember it 2006. I was mm. having lunch with a bunch of the retired teachers from my school, and okay. I stopped doing that after my first year as a teacher. Okay, and so or my first year at that. Oh, time. you know what? You're right. It was 2006 because that puts it much more in. Uh, Bush during Fallujah and no, not Fallujah, but during the surge yeah. that it does during Obama at the very beginning. Okay, good point. Yeah, no, it's 2006. You're correct. Speaking of which, that's what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. There's a surge. There's yeah. Bush. There's uh, Yeehaw. There's, uh, you know, hyper masculine 
uh, we're not weak. We we project strength. We we are going to beat these people who are basically from the same region because they hate us for our freedoms. Yeah. 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 Within the popular zit guys, anyway, all of that. Yeah, I was gonna say they're not Iranian. Not like attacking. But uh, we could we could spend an entire episode talking about how that's flawed. But oh, and freaking like I remember there were uh, groups in America who were like, "Dude, America, what the fuck? Why are you declaring cultural war on Iran?" Because it was clear that the Persians are Iranian. Yeah, and so it's like. Yo, you've already called them the axis of evil. What what are you doing? You've landed troops <laughs> in Afghanistan yeah. and in Iraq on either side of Iran. Like, and now you got this fucking movie. Like, how about you, you know, stop it? Oh, well, the movie came out and the uh Iranian ambassador, I want to say it was. Or it might have been the Iranian foreign minister. I don't remember uh, what the was ambassador. The, yeah. Yeah, the, the ambassador lodged a formal complaint. Yes. Like, yes. Yeah. Uh, which which is interesting to me. It's a bit of tone deafness on his part in terms of like how our movies get made. Well, one. And it's also very insightful as to how our movies get made. Two. <laughs> like, Three. Mm-hmm. Um, the modern culture of Iran, mm-hmm. the, the post-Islam culture mm-hmm. of Iran, uh, likes to, or the 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 yeah the the I won't say the culture of Iran, but the state of Iran mm-hmm. likes to point to its lineage going back to the Persian Empire and going back to the Zoroastrian sure. rulers and all of that. But in outlook and character, mm-hmm. the post-revolution government of Iran is far more a product of caliphate culture than Darius or Xerxes. Sure. You know, it's, it's a lot more Abu Bakr than, than Darius or Xerxes by, by a long shot. But, but, but the perception within our own culture, like, the majority of Americans not knowing anything about Islam, not understanding anything about who the Persians were. Right. Like the popular perception, it, it's, it's a, it's a meaningful criticism from the Iranian ambassador knowing what he knew about Americans. It certainly makes sense. So anyway, I, I'm getting off the subject, but um, so, so this comic that Miller that Miller puts out is this is this myth making hero story of these very Americanized hyper masculine mm-hmm. toxically masculine like putting forward this awful view of of straight masculinity uh, you know Spartans as the hero with Leonidas as the chief hero. Mm-hmm. literally um and then and so he does this in 98 and then the movie gets made in 2006 and all of the context of all of that stuff mm-hmm. is 
is now warped yeah. in turn again yeah. by the fact that in 2006, when the movie got made, we were now three years mm-hmm. into the war in Iraq, right? 2003. Uh, yeah. 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 So we were, we were three years into the war in Iraq, um, which was a client state or, or was conquered territory of the Persian empire. Mm-hmm. And everything that had been a point of Miller's in the comic about the clash of civilizations mm-hmm. is now, I don't want to say it's even more overt, but it's even more pointed perhaps, or even more intense in that we now had our own leaders characterizing our military efforts in the Middle East as being a crusade. (laughs) Like, way to be tone deaf. Like, you know, we we in the West have now, have, have over the course of centuries taken the term crusade to mean any kind of long-term moral conflict like you know the crusade right. against uh illiteracy or crusade against whatever whatever in the middle east crusade still has a very specific meaning mm-hmm. <laughs> and it literally means a bunch of europeans coming and trying to take your territory away from you and kill you for your religion right you know like that's that's the meaning for them has not changed since 1099 when Jerusalem got conquered in the first crusade. Mm-hmm. Like that, that pretty much defined the term for them forever. Right. And it just, it isn't, it isn't going to undergo mimetic drift in that part of the world. So that having the American president refer to it when we're invading Iraq is, is a pretty dipshit move. Yes. And so we have in 98, as you pointed out in our last episode, Mm -hmm. we had had the first Gulf War. Mm -hmm. We had had our hegemony um, uh, shown to be weaker than we would like in Mogadishu Mm -hmm. and in trying to remember the other place you mentioned. Oh, uh, it wasn't so much uh, our involvement. It was our our unwillingness to get involved in Rwanda. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Our failure to get involved in Rwanda. Um, You know, and and so so there was this sense of fragility to our hegemony in 1998. In 2006, we were busy enforcing our hegemony. Yeah. And, and the movie became a rah-rah cheering section. Oh, absolutely. And it for grossed, that effort. It grossed so much money as oh a my result, God. too. Yeah. Like it was uh, triple yeah. digits. I think it was over $200 million. Yeah. Um, yeah it was, and it, to the point where it shocked the studio, they were like, yeah, we should see Dark City money. If, uh, or not Dark City, Sin City money. Yeah, we should, we'll see. Jesus Sin, Christ, yeah, Dark City, Sin City, Frank Miller, Mark Miller, <laughs> Mark Miller, Alan Moore. Yeah. Roger Moore. Craven Moorhead. It just, there you go. Yeah. Nice. But yeah, it was, but, yeah, a, it no, was wildly it, successful. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was a definitely really tapped success. into the culture. Yeah. Because. Mm-hmm. 
where the comic book the comic book had come out and there were you know classical history nerds who were big fans of it because it was somebody finally taking Herodotus and turning it into a comic book right and there were Frank Miller fans who were taking it going oh my god this is so flat fucking awesome yep um and you know there were just generalized comic book fans going oh my god this is this is an incredible piece of art but nobody expected it to be a runaway success as a movie but we had all of this other shit going on mm-hmm. that that made it resonate in this way yes and so what what miller had originally not realized he was doing in terms of making an ideological comic book mm-hmm. again i think i think snyder also to a lesser extent fell backwards into an ideological movie yeah i don't think i i i give i i gotta figure out how i want to phrase this i give snyder enough credit for intelligence and thoughtfulness okay to to be at least partially aware of what it meant to be making a clash of civilizations movie at the historical (laughs) moment in which he was making one. Right. I do not think he was consciously setting out to make propaganda. No, but sometimes you can be so saturated with a culture's uh, anxieties and uh, preoccupations that no matter what you do, you're going to make a movie that is a reflection of that saturation. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. And and after a certain point, when you hew closely enough to source material that subconsciously is as profoundly ideological as the comic was, yep. you're going to wind up making propaganda. Yes, and the the all of the uh uh exaggeration and all of the uh melodrama of the comic mm-hmm. is just that much more profound makes sense when you or maybe not profound much more powerful no i would say profound as well okay but yeah um, but but it's it's just that much more like the the effect of it on mm-hmm. the viewer right is just that much more powerful when it's a moving image and when you take that incredibly emotionally charged heavily visually saturated imagery and you make it move and you make mm-hmm. it breathe on the screen that that turns it from well, there's there's an ideological component under the surface of this that it, it turns it into you know triumph of the fucking will, mm. like that's a ooh. you know I mean yeah. I mean yeah. you know and and the thing is here's the thing I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say this and this this may this may sound awful or it may not I don't know but I genuinely think anybody who is a student of film mm-hmm. needs to watch Triumph of the Will. Oh yeah, I, I because agree. because it's evil. Like, I mean, I mean, the, the people, the people it was glorifying were, were the devil incarnate, but it is an incredibly powerful piece of film. Mm-hmm. It is, it is, it is cinematic art pointed in the direction of 
uh, having, I mean, Lenny, Lenny Riefenstahl was like, okay, no, I'm, I'm going to turn the emotional impact of all of this up to 11. Mm-hmm. And she, and she did it. Not only that, but I also think that another evil movie uh, that was ahead of its time techno- technically uh, and ties right back to 300 is Birth of a Nation. Oh, yeah. 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 And, and you know, anybody you know, who, who walks into the conversation at this point might be like, wait, you're lumping 300 in with those two films? Like, yeah. You know, I and, think thematically and, you're absolutely right. Yeah, well, and, and thematically, yes. And also, um, I think Snyder's, Snyder's skill mm-hmm. is overlooked or, or underplayed. I, mm-hmm. I think he is, he is under, underestimated, I think is the word I'm looking for. I think he gets underestimated because so much of his stuff is comic book related mm-hmm. and, and very poppy in 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 where his source material comes from he gets overlooked as being a very 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 skilled manipulator of the audience's emotions oh absolutely i mean you know people recognize christopher nolan for the same you go through a tunnel and suddenly it's night and he's like yeah dude your brain will fill it in it's cool you're like holy shit he's a genius yeah 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 and you know i i think i think it's important for us to recognize mm-hmm. the ways in which this film takes a historical legend and the comic book that the mm-hmm. film is a shot for shot recreation of takes a historical legend and unwittingly uh attaches a an agenda onto it i would say co-ops it by accident yeah yeah there you go yeah Yeah, it works co-ops it for for an agenda and i think we need to name what that agenda winds up being because Mm -hmm. again in the same way that neil gaiman uh told miller i don't think you're a homophobe for this right uh, I'm going to say I don't think Miller is a fascist for this, but um, the comic that Miller made winds up being pretty crypto-fascist because yeah. it's consciously culturally chauvinist, mm-hmm. homophobic, yeah. toxically masculine, and desperately, like, shockingly ableist. Yeah, um, and I left sexist out. Let's not forget the sexism. Because look how manly the Spartans are. And by the way, Queen Gorgo doesn't really get raped because she consciously chooses to let the guy do it. Right. Because that's <laughs> totally not that's how somehow that not work. Yeah, right. somehow that's not sexual. Like, you know, and, and it's I I wish I wish this story could have been adapted by somebody who was as absolutely visually brilliant and as good a storyteller as frank miller who wasn't frank miller yeah it would have been nice to see a comic book well i i can point out to you 
good good graphic novels that handle all this stuff um, that still get your blood pumping because they're epic as hell mm-hmm. and they don't Frank Miller it. So that'll be yeah. when, when you ask me what I'm reading. Yeah. Okay. Um, good. But, yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Sure. So, I mean, that's, that's essentially where my, my, my thesis on this comes back around and, and okay. where I think we can, we can kind of tie this up. You know, I mean, we, we could, we could obviously you and I could keep talking about this for hours, but I, oh, I think yeah. the point, the point has been made. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and this is, this is one of those works that like, I'm going to recommend to anybody who's like, I want to, I want to learn about the genre of graphic novels. That's I'm going to recommend, I'm going to recommend 300 to them. Yeah. When I recommend it to them, I'm going to say, understand, I'm telling you to read this in the same way that I'd recommend Lenny Riefenstahl. <laughs> Yeah. to to anybody who wants to learn about cinema like you know it is it is a masterpiece of the medium mm-hmm. and it is it is emotionally um, like you will feel shit right but go into it understanding there's an agenda here that is not fluffy yes you know yeah yeah i so, i yeah, Having... I think I think that he is. Uh, I'm going to just jump right to what I gleaned. Yeah. Um. Uh, I think that um he is. If you're going to give him uh, a pass on being those things actively and intentionally, I'm cool with it. In the same way that I'm cool with us giving John Milius a pass on being those things intentionally. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Separating um, separating art from artist. Right. They're both you know. manly men wanting to do manly man shit and not <laughs> not having done the reading to understand uh, how quickly and easily manly man shit gets co-opted and absorbed into yeah. crypto fascist shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I just I have to say this, that you say, you know, manly men doing manly man shit mm-hmm. and, and my brain goes two places at once. Uh, it goes to uh, Robin Williams saying manly men doing manly things, <laughs> which, and I can't remember the rest of the quote, but I just remember it was hysterical. Mm-hmm. And then I also think of the um, <clears throat> Darwin award uh, uh, from several years ago, uh, where a group of Finnish men uh, in the middle of winter uh, after a five day drinking binge. Oh boy. Uh, took a chainsaw out into the woods with them to, and I quote, play man's games. The fuck? Okay. And and one of them, uh, and and they're all of them apparently, according to the story, hammered out of their minds mm-hmm. on whatever it was they were drinking. And one of them uh, cut cut his own hand off with the chainsaw, and they were so blitzed that he didn't feel it. His friend picked up the chainsaw, still running, Mm. picked up the chainsaw and proceeded to cut off his own head with it. Manly men doing manly things. Jesus. If you take that to an extreme, as you said, if you have an all boys club, toxic shit happens. <laughs> yeah. Like, you yeah. know, at the end of the day, someone's going to lose fucking head. Somebody's <laughs> there's, there will literally be maiming and death. Like, yes. there you go. Yeah. So, well, there you go. 
So now what are you going to recommend to me to read? Because I really want to I, I really want to read some good graphic novels that are not Frank Miller. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Do the Odyssey or the Iliad by Gareth Hines. Okay. Um, phenomenal, beautiful artwork. I mean, it's dealing with the Iliad or it's dealing with the Odyssey. It's your choice. Okay. I frankly, uh, there's more bloodshed, oddly enough, in the Odyssey than there is in the Iliad. Um, okay. I know. I know. Um, but now are we uh, talking about the slaughter of the consorts? There? Yes. Oh, okay. like it's, it's just a more visceral uh, scene. Um, but I and, and and honestly, I think the Odyssey bounces around a little bit between uh, narrators uh, in, in Heinz's work. Um, okay. But he does a fantastic job uh, with the Iliad. I, I frankly, I'm just more partial to that story anyway. Um but okay. uh, I'm going to recommend that because the artwork is beautiful. It handles a the Trojan War um, and the interference of the gods and all that kind of stuff. So it's very mythological. It's not historical, um, okay. but it handles it in such a way that is not the Frank Miller uh, okay. manly, manly, manly. So nice. That's that's what I recommend. Do you have any okay. recommendations? for uh, Yes, I am going to very, very highly recommend uh, Persepolis. Ooh, nice uh by i'm i'm i know i'm gonna i know i'm mispronouncing the first name but marjan mm-hmm. marjane marjan. satrapi yeah that was satrapi yeah yeah um it is uh a, a very modern story yes um it's beautiful but too. it is it is a wonderful kind of memoir uh about modern iran mm-hmm uh, and I think as a counterpoint to the hyper-masculine nationalist culturally chauvinist stuff involved in 300, Persepolis mm-hmm. is a, a truly wonderful antidote oh, yeah. Yeah. to that. And so I'm going to very highly recommend that. Yeah, the stark use of black and white like just really adds, oh, yeah. to, adds yes. to the story. It yes, really does. And, and the film is also an amazing animation adaptation of the of the graphic novel as well so highly highly recommend both both of those nice all right well where do we want to find you on social medias um i don't know if you want to find me at all but if you (laughs) if you decide you do want to find me i am eh blaylock on twitter and i am mr blaylock on tiktok and on the instagram where can you be found, sir? Uh, you can find me at Duh Harmony on Twitter and Insta, usually bullying school districts into doing the right thing by their members. Uh, so you can find me there. Two H's in the middle. Duh Harmony. Uh, hit me up. Uh, let me know what you think I got wrong. Uh, corporately, where can you find us? Uh, we can be found as a unit uh, on Twitter as uh, Geek History Time and on the internet uh, geekhistoryoftime.com and uh, Stitcher and Spotify and the Apple uh, uh, podcast app or where mm-hmm. we can be found where you've already found us. Yeah, One of those places, if you were listening to us right now, wherever it was that you did find us, as we always ask, please uh, like and subscribe and give us those five stars you know we have earned mm-hmm. uh, with this insightful and only moderately foul-mouthed analysis of uh, Frank Miller's uh, work. And um, there we go. Cool. Well, for, for Geek History of Time, 
I'm Damien Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, keep rolling 20s.